Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You are listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, great to, great to have you with us this morning. I was just saying, I love this time of year. September is just great weather and uh, we're on school holidays at the moment. Uh, I'm sure parents are either loving or hating it with, the, with kids at home, but uh, it's great fun and a really nice time of year. And um, hey, we're in the middle of a series at the moment uh, called Jesus in the Picture. And we're looking at stories from the gospel, uh, just lives of people uh, where Jesus steps into their story, steps into their picture. I'm going to need a picture frame. I just realised. Where's PJ? No, it's, it's out in the back, back room. Someone took it out there. Big hand for PJ. <laughs> Worshipping creative director extraordinaire and, um, and lackey at times. Um, so sorry about that. I totally forgot. We, we are weird. I need my picture frame because Jesus steps into our picture, steps into the frame and we're looking at stories where Jesus steps into the stories of people's lives and changes their story Forever, You know, we live in an age where we see things through frames. In particular, we see them through the frames of our phones, don't we? More and more we see life through our phones. It's mediated through screens. Uh, I was in the city on Thursday uh, uh, doing some work here, and then on my way home I was on the bus, and we, I went over the, as I was going over the bridge, one of the helicopters was doing some manoeuvres in preparation for river fire, which was last night. And the reason I knew was because I was passing hundreds of people, and what were they doing? They were like this. Everybody was watching the helicopter through their screens. I was going uh, through South Bank last night and obviously people everywhere, uh, fireworks going up. What's everybody doing? They're watching the fireworks through their screen. You know, we see, we watch the world through our screens. Everything is framed through our screens. And it means then that that what we do is we take photos, we take images, and then we share them, and they're curated, they're managed, they're sent to our family and our friends, they're put up on Facebook, but, but rarely is it the first take, you know, rarely is it the first shot, rarely is it just the true image. You know, when, everything, when things are mediated, see media uh, comes from the word medium, which is to be in between. And when things are mediated, we see things in different ways. They're curated. And our reality, as we look through screens and we receive things in screens, is being manipulated, managed, and distorted. Uh, I took a selfie just the other day and had a bit of fun with kids. I don't have this app. I downloaded an app. <laughs> and, and, uh, and we had a bit of fun doing this. Now, I, I know I look so much better uh, as, I, as I've mediated, as I've kind of manipulated things. Do you think, I, you know, my eyes are bigger? I, the girls thought it was hilarious. But of course, I just look strange. But it is incredible. I, I'd never done it until the other day. And I'm not going to get a show of hands of people who have actually done this. But, but you, can, you can just tweak things a little bit. I've, I've tweaked things a lot there. I've, I've made my nose a little smaller. I've made my smile, my eyes are bigger. I've brought my chin in a little bit. And the reality is, is that we can manage 
We can change things. We can manipulate things to change how things look through a frame, through a screen. And what it's happening, what's happening is it's actually having a significant impact on our lives, particularly on young people. I read an article this week on the ABC and it's titled, How Beauty Filters on Social Media Affect Young Women. The article said there's some work that's been shown, the more involved that a person is in taking and editing selfies, the more likely they are to experience body dissatisfaction, thank you PJ, and potentially be at increased risk of an eating disorder. A Monash University study showed selfie filters may be driving an uptake in, our, in young, people's get, young people getting cosmetic procedures. We are trying to manage how we present ourselves. We are trying to be picture perfect. We are trying to frame ourselves in the best possible light. But the reality is, no matter how we manipulate and manage how we appear, we still know the truth. No matter how we alter an image, we're still, if we're really honest, understand who we really are, and it leaves us feeling more insecure than ever. This morning, we're going to look at the story of a person who tried to present themselves as picture perfect. Someone who worked incredibly hard to put all, everything in the right places, to manage perception, to do the right things. But in reality, they still, as inevitably it does, particularly as religion inevitably does, It left him as it can leave us feeling insecure and living in doubt. So you want to read John chapter 3, one of of the famous passages that we read in the Gospels where Jesus encounters Nicodemus. And we're going to start at verse 1 of John chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up. Uh, The words are going to come on the screen behind me as well. John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of The Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, 
that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. I don't know about you, but I don't like being out of control. Does anybody here like being out of control? Or is anybody, people here like being in control? Just let me know if you like being in control. Yeah, a whole bunch of us, nearly all of us, like being in control. Uh, Megan and I went for a drive up to Toowoomba uh, this week, um, and uh, Megan was driving, and we're on that long stretch, you know, once you get past Ipswich, and I turned to Megan, and I said, Megan, why are you not using cruise control? You know, cruise control is one of the great inventions in, in driving. Uh, you know, just gonna hit the button and just let it do the work. Megan turned across to me and she said, I don't like being out of control. I'm a control freak. <laughs> Can anyone agree, does anyone agree with Megan? Anyone not like cruise control? Yeah, you've got particular issues, people. <laughs> we like being in control. And I reckon in this COVID season, it's actually challenged our sense of control perhaps more than any other time in our life. We are living in a culture that is living on the edge. And even here in Queensland, where things are relatively normal compared to other states and in other places around the world, we still live with this anxiety. We're living with an existential threat. We know that any, at any time things could change and it is messing with us. It's messing with our psyche, why? because we feel like we're not in control. And religion, religion is an attempt to be in control. Religion is an attempt at control. See, what religion does is it puts a whole bunch of rules and frameworks and, and ways to live in order for us to say, I've done that, I've ticked that box, I've been good, I've achieved, I've succeeded, look how good I am. See, with religion comes this sense of the box, understanding where the parameters are and living within those parameters and appearing to a watching world that we are in control. And every one of us has a disposition toward religion. Whether you are a Christian, whether you are sitting here today and go, yes, I'm a person of faith, whether you're sitting here and you're going, no, I don't believe in, I'm not, I'm not a person of faith at all. Every one of us has a disposition towards building our own moral framework in order to present to a world that we are in control. And so the result of religion are twofold. Well, there's, there's many, but I just wanna pick up on two. Firstly, Religion becomes about image management. It's about external presentation rather than where our heart is at. It becomes about what we do. It becomes about how people see us on the external, how they see us in public, rather than what's going on in the heart and what is going in the unseen. And we become really good at this. I've, I, I've got to say, I've become good at that. Presenting to a, to a watching world, I'm in control. I've got all my ducks in a row. Religion becomes image management. And secondly, religion removes us from the other. 
It removes us from others. Why? Because we set up a whole bunch of parameters, a whole bunch of ways in which we believe the world should be, the way in which people should behave, and we go about ticking those boxes. And because that, that, that shapes our worldview, it shapes how we see the world, we then cast judgment on others. And when we do that, we separate ourselves. See, the fruit of religion is pride. It's pride. It sets ourselves up and against others. And in doing so, it separates us from others. Richard Lovelace, the theologian, says this, many draw their assurance of acceptance with God from their sincerity, their past experience of conversion, not conversation, I think it says conversion, their recent religious performance of the relative infrequency of their conscious, willful disobedience, their insecurity shows itself in pride, a fierce defensive assertion of their own righteousness and defensive criticism of others. They come naturally to hate other cultural styles styles and other races in order to bolster their own security and discharge their suppressed anger. With religion comes a holding others at arm's length. We don't want people to see who we really are. It removes vulnerability. We are insecure. And that's why I think John presents this story with Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. And John didn't need to present it that way. He didn't need to say at night. He could have said Nicodemus came to see Jesus. But I think what is going on here is that there is an insecurity. There is an insecurity about how Nicodemus is being presented to the wider world, the watching world. Why? Because Nicodemus, as we read, is part of the religious elite. He's one of, the, one of those people who sets the rules He is one of the image managers of the people of Israel. And it was this group of lawyers, this group of of Pharisees that actually created more laws and more rules for the people of Israel to live under. And I think, you know, if I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt, the, the additional 600 rules that were given above the Torah, the Ten Commandments, were given out of a heart to serve God. But it did the exact opposite. See, creating more tick boxes, creating more parameters and frameworks in order to honour actually became a weight and a burden. It robbed people from relationship because it all became about rules. It's what rules do. It's what box ticking exercises do. They rob us of the heart and they become a burden. And Jesus does not mince his words with the religious elite, the people like Nicodemus. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 to 4, Jesus says this about the Pharisees. He says, Then Jesus said to the crowds, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They'd become great image managers. Oh, they had all the right words. And they told everybody else to do how, taught everybody else how to live. But they themselves were not willing to do the work. And as a result, the people of Israel living under the burden of the law were robbed of intimate right relationship with God. Separated 
people from God and it separated people from others. And we can see all through the Gospels how the people of Israel became separated from sinners, became separated from Gentiles. What I love about this though is we get a picture here with Nicodemus and the story of Nicodemus of someone whose cage is rattled. Nicodemus is, is, is scrambling, he's unsure. There's something going on in his life and he, he desperately go, wants to come and see Jesus because even though he is at the top echelons of the religious elite within the nation of Israel, something that every young boy would have aspired to, something is not right. And so at night he comes to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has challenged Nicodemus's sense of control. See, it's not just Nicodemus in the picture anymore. Jesus has stepped into the picture, whether Nicodemus likes it or not, and it's rattled his cage because Jesus has begun to shine a light through the filters of religion in Nicodemus's life. And Nicodemus doesn't know what to do. And so in the first few verses, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, we, we see, he uses the word we. It's, I don't know who he's representing, all of the teachers of the law, just a particular group, but he comes and says, we, we see that you are a man of God. There is something going on here. Nicodemus has this, this thing, this, this itch that, that, that he, he needs to scratch. He can't let it go. See, Jesus does this. He gets under our skin. He challenges our religion and he challenges our sense of control. And let's be honest, that's what relationship does. See, when Jesus steps into our picture, when he steps into our story, he challenges us because he desires relationship with us. And we know that relationships challenge who we are. They demand, they desire intimacy and authenticity. Now, I remember uh, when I met Megan as a bit of a, an example. You know, I, I was a single enjoying life in London and all my ducks were in a row. You know, things were going well and then this beautiful woman arrived at church and she rattled my cage. Megan rattled my, because she was different. You know, I had all everything. I had my values. My, I, I was going a certain direction. And then Megan stepped in and, and I couldn't ignore her. And, uh, and, and we started to get relation, build relationship and I became more and more insecure because it forced me to become more vulnerable. Megan had different values to me. She saw the world in a different way and it, it, sh it shattered my sense and view of order of the world. I didn't know what to do. I needed therapy. Literally, I need to go see someone, and I did. And I'm thankful for those people who said, you know, Megan's a wonderful woman, you need to keep going with this. But this is what relationship does. When people step into our world, they challenge our sense of control because they're different. And Jesus steps into the world of Israel and Nicodemus cannot ignore it. His cage is rattled. And more than that, he's confused. And Jesus begins to unpack in a, in a profound and a deep way to Nicodemus actually what a relationship with God looks like. Nicodemus doesn't get it. 
He sees God through the, through the world of law and rule, not relationship. And Jesus says in verse five, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, there are a lot of layers to what Jesus is saying, and I don't have time to unpack all of it. But let me just grab hold of one. Jesus, I think, is going back and pulling on the words of the prophet Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel, who Nicodemus, who would have been very familiar with. And Ezekiel prophesies the word of the Lord in, in Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37, what it looks like when the people of Israel will truly understand what it means to be in relationship with God, what it means to truly be a covenantal people. In Ezekiel 36 verses 26 to 28, the prophet says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be caref- statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This beautiful picture of relationship. Yeah, there's, there's still statutes and decrees, but, but that's not the essence of, of why people obey. It's because they are God's covenantal relational people. Ezekiel then goes on in, in chapter 37, and perhaps you've heard, it's a well-known prophecy, the, the prophecy of the Valley of Dry Bones where God tells Ezekiel to prophesy over this this vision, a valley of dry bones that are just uh, no life, desert. If you read the story in Ezekiel 37, he begins to prophesy, speak and breathe over these bones and they come to life and they become an army. It's a prophetic vision of the people of Israel, what God is going to do. And this is what um, Ezekiel says in verse 13 and 14 of Ezekiel 37. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Jesus is pulling, I think, on these words from Ezekiel and saying, the impulse in the heart of God is not to make people obey him through rules, but to be in relationship with his people. In covenantal, caring relationship, that is always the impulse of God. That's why he created us. He created us to be in relationship with him. And Jesus comes And he declares this and he's unpacking it before Nicodemus who over time has seen God in a completely false way through the the lens of box ticking and rules. And Jesus says, how can you miss this? You can't manipulate God. You can't control God. 
The wind goes wherever it pleases. The Spirit of God will move and work as he does and you must relinquish control. That is what it means to be in relationship with the living God. That is the invitation for the people of Israel. That is the invitation for us. The Spirit brings life. The Spirit brings intimacy. The Spirit brings relationship. The Spirit brings dynamics. Oh, this is an encouragement for all of us today. If you think that you can put God in a box, maybe you've been a Christian a long, long time and you go, yeah, I know the deal. If you don't have a sense that you are not in control, if you think that you are in control of your relationship with God and everything's in it, then you have missed the impulse and the heart of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Because to be in relationship with Jesus Christ is to enter into an exciting, dangerous, thrilling dynamic. The Christian faith should never be safe. It should never be boring. It should never be religion. And Jesus says this to Nicodemus. He says, this is what it means to be in relationship. Here's a big idea for us. I want us to grab hold of this today. You can have control or you can have connection, but you can't have both. And only one leads to life. You can have control or you can have connection with Christ, but you can't have both. And only one leads to life. And the road to connection with Christ is a road through doubt. The road to connection is a road through doubt. See, doubt is an important part of faith. Unless we truly confront doubt, we can't truly have trust and faith. Is that liberating for some people here today? Some of us think that doubt is the antithesis of faith. And I think Nicodemus here shows us that it's not until we actually grapple with our doubts and our fears and our questions, it's not until we go through that journey and that process that we can truly delve deeper into who God is. Nicodemus comes with the questions. In verses 9 and 10, he says, how can this be? And then Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things. Can you imagine how vulnerable this is for Nicodemus right now? He's the guy who has all the questions. As Jesus says, he's the teacher of Israel. And here he is coming with questions that he can't understand. I love this picture by John Lafarge. It sits in the Smithsonian Art Museum in Washington, D.C. It's on your, why don't you just grab it? Because it's probably a lot clearer on, your, on the sheets that you can find in front of you. I love this painting. It was painted in the late 1800s. You just look at the posture and the framing. I want to pick up on a couple of things. Firstly, we see that Nicodemus is sitting below Jesus. It's intentional. Nicodemus has humbled himself under Jesus the rabbi, the Pharisee under Jesus. And his posture is one of question. There's no antagonism, there's no anger, there's a, there's a humility, there's, a, there's an open, honest questioning. He wants to understand. Deeply humbling for Nicodemus. 
The other thing I want to pick up on is the light. There is something here, remember, Nicodemus is coming at night time. He's got his questions. He can't see. He can't understand. But there is light there. There's a revelation that's taking place. There is a truth that is being communicated. Jesus is inviting Nicodemus into a new revelation, a new understanding. Yes, Nicodemus has questions, but he's willing to humble himself and go to Jesus and ask them. Nicodemus has the courage to confront his questions and his doubt. Let's be honest for a moment. We all have doubts. We all have questions. We all grapple with things of faith. But the question is, are you willing to admit it? Are you willing to confront and question your doubts? There's a whole bunch of people I think who've grown up in the church who are immature in their faith because they've never asked the hard questions. They've never been willing to confront the questions of their heart and so they've always remained at a surface level in their relationship with Jesus. You've got to understand that Jesus is very comfortable with our questions. We see that throughout the Scriptures, whether it's Job, whether it's the Psalms, whether it's Thomas, whether it's the Gospel writers. They are grappling with their questions and their doubts. I think that this is a profound um, gift of the Christian faith. We live in a society that refuses to ask the hard questions. I find it astonishing that so many people, so many people refuse to grapple with the question of existence, why they're here, purpose, what will happen when they die. And I'm not talking about people in the church, I'm talking about culture at large. When those hard questions come up, well, it's too easy to be distracted, to turn to Netflix, to turn to social media, just numb the questions. Oh, we don't want to ask the questions about what happens when we die. We want to ask the questions of purpose. That's too hard. That's too scary. Let's just stay at our distracted level. But it's when we are truly courageous to ask questions that God invites us in. And it's scary too because it's an invitation into relationship. You know, my journey is I grew up, my dad's a pastor, my, both my grandparents on both sides were missionaries. I grew up knowing all the stuff. You know, I won all the Bible quizzes when I was going through Sunday school. I knew the stuff. I was a good religious kid. I remember going to Bible college in, the UK, in London and praying and saying to God, I said, God, I know this all at a theoretical level, but I am, I am throwing everything up in the air because I want to see where it lands. I want to do this properly. I just don't want to take things because that's the way that I've been taught. And it was challenging. Three years of undergrad theology was deeply challenging for my faith. It was also really helpful. But one thing I learned in that experience is that knowledge alone does not get us to a point of faith. I remember in my final year of university grappling with a whole bunch of things and I remember it was people. 
and people who showed me the grace of God, who invited me into a fresh new understanding of the relationship of God, the grace of God and how he sees me, that did a profound work in my life. See, we can't just keep God at a knowledge level, at an academic level. There is something about relationship that God wants to invite us into that that enables us to understand faith in a deep, deep way, to help us understand trust in a deep way. But it requires humility. It requires courage. It requires surrender because any relationship that's going to work requires all of those. Or you can keep God at a distant level. You can keep it at a religious level because that's safe. That's control. That puts us in the box seat, but you will never know the depth of relationship with God unless you take that step of surrender, humility, and vulnerability. That is what Nicodemus does, even in the midst of all his questions. You can have control or you can have connection, but you can't have both. And the beautiful thing is, as Jesus lands this is that Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, I'm going to show you how you can trust me. See, Jesus has revealed himself in a way so that we can know him and so that we can trust him. Jesus has revealed himself so we can know him and trust him. The last three verses that we read are significant. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus again is going back to Old Testament narrative. He's speaking the language of Nicodemus and he goes back to the Exodus narrative and he, he points to a story where the, the people are in the, in the desert and they're starting to get stung, bitten by vipers and dying. And so God directs Moses to build a bronze statue with a, a serpent on it and stick it up so that anybody who's been bitten can look at that bronze statue, that bronze, bronze pillar And if they were to cast their eyes onto that bronze pillar that was lifted up, they would be healed. Nicodemus knew that story. And Jesus says, the son of man is going to come and be like that. What's Jesus saying? Well, Jesus, this is a a deeply significant statement. Jesus is saying that I am the one who is the son of man. I am God who is being revealed to you right now. I am God, I am the Messiah. But more than that, he's saying, I am the key to salvation and healing. I am the one who is going to be lifted high. Jesus says, and this is a profound prophetic moment, Jesus says, the Son of Man will be lifted high. And we know the story, right? That Jesus ultimately is sacrificed on a cross. He is lifted up. And he dies for us, bleeding, beaten on a tree. Jesus says, I am going to die in order that you may have life, that you may be drawn into relationship 
We know the story and we've been celebrating it even today. Three days later, Jesus rose again from the death, defeating sin and death so that we may be restored into right relationship with him. Jesus is saying, that is who I am. This is my purpose. I am the God who has come to save Israel. I've come to save the world. Because he died, because he was lifted up, we can trust him. See, here's the thing that we can take hold of. Even in the midst of our doubt and our questions, we can look to a God who has revealed himself through his death his burial, and his resurrection. I don't have time to go into all the the rational details around that and all the, the apologetics around that. But all to say that Jesus is the most significant person to ever walk the planet. Time magazine said that he was the most, he's the most significant person in all of human history. Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again because he has revealed himself, because he has made a way for us to be in relationship with him, we can trust him. Profound words. How does Nicodemus receive all of this? Well, I love the end of the story, at least in John, the gospel of John. In John chapter 19, verses 38 to 42, we, we see a bit of a postscript of, Jesus' life with Nicodemus. We read these words. This is after Jesus has been lifted high on the cross and he has died. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared people like Nicodemus. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by who? by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, and taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Something happened in Nicodemus' life. The one who couldn't see, could see the one who couldn't make sense of of what was going on, could understand that that was the, he was right. He said that he'd be lifted up. That is the Messiah. That is the one who has brought, who's come to bring salvation and healing and life to all mankind. It's Jesus where I can find eternal life. I can trust in that Jesus. Something happened in Nicodemus's life. All of a a sudden, he could see again. When Jesus enters our picture, everything changes. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. See, when Jesus enters our story, when Jesus enters our frame, when he steps into relationship, all of a sudden, we see the world in a new way. It's a different filter. It's a new filter. We don't need to live with religion anymore. We don't need to try and edit ourselves and manipulate ourselves and control ourselves to present ourselves to the world around us that we're adequate and we're good. See, when Jesus steps in, He is our filter. 
And when we look into Jesus' face, we see a God who has revealed himself in his death and his resurrection. We don't need to prove anything anymore. We are free. We're forgiven. We're secure. We're whole. We're forgiven. And we have eternal life. I want to ask you this morning, where is Jesus in your picture? You can have control or you can have Christ, but you can't have both. And only one leads to life. You can have control or you can have Christ, but you can't have both. I reckon there's two groups of people I I really felt as I was preparing this that I believe that God just wanted to encourage and to speak to this morning. The first group here was those who perhaps haven't ever accepted Jesus into their life. Maybe you feel like this morning you're a Nicodemus and you've been trying to manage your life. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while And you kind of know the routine, you know the deal, you kind of know how you're supposed to behave. But if you're really honest, you have been keeping Jesus Jesus at arm's length. You haven't relinquished control. You're still in control of your own life. And you don't know the freedom and the joy that comes in knowing Jesus. And today is the day where you need to hand over the reins. You need to give over control. Today is the day where you say, Jesus, I'm I'm letting you in. I'm receiving you. It's, I'm going to... Jesus, I follow you, not me. Maybe some of you here this morning need to make that step, the first step of becoming a Christian. I reckon there's another group of people here and and you've been a Christian, again, maybe you've been a Christian many, many years, but maybe over time you've started to grab hold of control again because of circumstances in life, because of the pressures of culture, because of of your own insecurities or what your own pain or whatever it is, that vibrant faith journey has diminished as you've grabbed hold. And so you don't have that dynamic, exciting relationship with Jesus. All you've got is just your religion and your box ticking exercises and trying to do the right things. And this morning, Jesus is saying to you, Hand back control. I want to give you life again. I want to give you that exciting, vibrant faith that you once had. I want you to trust me again. Hand over the controls. Hand over the controls. I wonder whether we can just bow our head and close our eyes right now. And if that's you this morning, either of those categories, the first category where, where today is the day where you step into faith and say, Jesus, I'm handing over controls for the first time. Or if you're in that category where you are a person of faith, you have accepted Jesus into your life, but over time you've grabbed hold of control and you've lost the joy and the life and the vitality of walking with Him. If you're in either of those categories, I'm just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just gonna invite you just to raise your hand high in the sky. As a way of saying, Jesus, I hand over control to you. Come on, just raise it high in the sky. That's awesome. Other people, 
Just keep, keep your hand in the air. I reckon there's a bunch here today. God is wanting to set you free anew. Anybody else? That's so cool. Anyone else? Just what? I'd love for, for, for you who have put your hand up this morning to pray a prayer. In fact, I'm going to invite everybody to pray this prayer after, after me. It's just a prayer of faith. And whether this is the first time for you to pray, or whether this is uh, the second or the 15th time, whatever it is, I think if you're a person of faith here today or choosing faith, why don't you just pray this prayer after me? Come on, just, and let's just speak it out together just above a whisper. Let's say this together, joining in with those who've stuck their hands in the air. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've set me free. You set me free from religion. I'm sorry that I've grabbed hold of control. I'm sorry that I've turned from you. Forgive me. Will you come and fill me? Give me the power of your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk with my eyes on you. Help me to continue to give you control. Come into my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, why don't we just give a huge hand for those who have prayed that prayer with sincerity in their heart. God wants to give us a dynamic, life-filled faith. Let's not miss out. Life's too short. We've got too much to do and there's too much life with Jesus to be lived. And ultimately, it's forever. Hey, why don't we stand on our feet? I'm gonna get the band to come. Oh, well, if you, if you do stand, you go, oh, sorry. Yeah, stick your mask on if you do. Love to sing a song, Graves into Gardens, taking hold of some of that imagery from Ezekiel. And let's, let's just believe that afresh today. I wanna say that if you prayed that prayer uh, this morning, in particular if you prayed it for the first time, I'd love to connect with you afterwards and give you something just to help you on your journey, come along and encourage you. Or even if it was for your second time or it's a renewing of just your step of faith, then love to come, love to connect with you and pray with you and encourage you on your journey. But come on, let's start, let's sing. Let's just bring our hearts, let's declare, let's praise the God who changes our life and makes graves, makes gardens out of graves. Come on, let's sing together. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we'd love to encourage you on your journey. Help us to help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.